Welcome to the Freshman Foundation Podcast, a conversation-style platform where we explore the many challenges of transitioning from high school to college athletics. And with the help of our expert guests and using positive psychology, mindfulness, acceptance, and commitment, our listeners can learn new ideas to gain insights into a meaningful and successful transition into college athletics. Now here's your host, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation. Welcome to the Freshman Foundation podcast, a podcast specifically about the transition from high school to college athletics. My guest on this episode is Casey Jaycox. Casey is a father, husband, and coach. He is also the author of Win the Relationship, Not the Deal, and host of the Quarterback Dadcast podcast. Please welcome Casey to the show. Casey, how are you? Mike, I'm doing good, man. I'm honored to, to join you, and thank you for the uh, the warm welcome. My pleasure. It's great to have you here, Casey. I was a guest on Casey's podcast just recently. Uh, we recorded, and so he offered to return the favor, and I'm more than happy to have him here because Casey, amongst the things that I mentioned in our introduction, was also the starting quarterback at Central Washington University and played on a team, I believe, with John Kitten, a former NFL star of 17 years. Is that correct? That is accurate. That yeah. Is accurate. So, so also Casey's experience as a transitioning high school to college athlete is uh, going to come into play in our conversation. Mm-hmm. So I guess before we get into the, the nitty gritty, can you uh, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah. I'm a washed up mid 40 year old Caucasian male who is fighting injuries every day. No, I'm joking. I, I well, a lot of that's true, but no, I'm um. I am healthy for the most part, fighting lingering back in injuries. I wish they would have told you that when you were playing quarterback in the mid '90s, when they they treated quarterbacks a little differently back then. Uh, <laughs> we used to get we used to get ridiculed for not stepping into a throw and taking the shot from the six three two hundred forty five pound dude. Then he would pick you up and body slam you. And when we didn't take it like a man back in the nineteen hundreds, we would get ripped. It, but. I don't regret that, but times when my back gets tweaky and I'm out of sorts, which is maybe a little bit right now, I regret it. But no, I'm joking aside, you know, married, happily married for 22 years. I have a 15-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter. Both are doing great. I could not be more lucky and blessed for how they've handled themselves through this pandemic. Obviously, everybody's been challenged. And I always, I told them right from the beginning two things. I said, kids, we will not use COVID as an excuse in this family. And don't ever feel like you're getting picked on because we're all getting picked on right now, every single person in the world. So time wasted worrying about that is an absolute waste of time. I'm going to be empathetic to your emotions. We're going to talk about it, but then we're going to move on. And they've embraced it and they've worked hard. And our our relationship as a family has gotten way tighter. And uh, I'm just very thankful for that time that we had. Sure, we missed sports. Sure, we missed all those things like just like everybody else did. But we we made the most of it. And um, I'll look back and this has actually been a great year for our family. Yeah, I think it's ironic that I I feel the same way about my own personal situation. And I think it's great to hear that your family has taken it as an opportunity to get better and to really work on maybe some of the things that sometimes we just didn't have as much bandwidth or we didn't have the resources to work on. I guess I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit more about that relationship with your kids and sort of how they've responded to it? Because it sounds like they've responded to it well, but can you just talk about that in a little bit more detail, how they've kind of responded to your parenting in that respect? Yeah, well, thankfully my wife, my general manager, I work for her, you know, so she's uh, she's done a great job of keeping us all in line and 
I think throughout this journey, I, I also started a business during this last year, which which helped me meet a lot of interesting people. And you know, I'll give you an example. Like one exercise that they embraced great was just a, a little dinner exercise we did, and and we went around the room and we said, "All right, so my kids' names are Ryder and Riley, and my wife's name's Carrie." So I'd say, "Hey, Ryder, so your job at dinner is to talk about one thing you love about everybody at this table, and then one thing you love about yourself." And they're like, what? I say, yeah, we because you got to be confident with things that you're good at. We all have gifts and treasures to give the world. And it was such a cool exercise to be able to kind of walk, to go through. And then they also talk about showing love to each other, like, and having him say something about his sister, you know, and it was really cool to see them just kind of embrace that. That would be one example. The other example was really impacting me was during an episode, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of uh, Swen Nader, uh, who was a famous ABA, NBA player, played for John Wooden. Interesting story about him is he got recruited to play for UCLA back in the 70s, but never truly played a lot. And that was Wooden's kind of pitch to him. He said, you're going to come play for me. You're going to play behind the best basketball player in the world. You're not going to play much, but I guarantee I'll get you to the NBA. That was his recruiting pitch. So if you're a high school kid or family out there thinking about that, you're like, why would I do that? And he said it was the best decision he ever made. You got to play behind Bill Walton, end up playing NBA for 12 years and Anyway, I tell a story because he also ended up writing a book called You Have Not Taught Until They Have Learned. And he talked about essentially as parents during this last two, three years, we all generalize that there's a lot of parents who are probably doing way too much, way too many things for their kids. They were busy. You've got to get to this sport, get to that sport, do this, do that for them. And, and I was like, man, I was guilty of that. And we're not helping them. And so we really challenged our kids to say, hey, I know you love that dad makes pancakes and I'm, that's my jam. But I want to see you do it. And I got to start teaching you. And so we really took that advice to heart and they embraced it. And so now I joke, I mean, I got short order cooks in my family. They're making eggs. My daughter made a full on cake yesterday. I'm like, what are we having cakes for? She goes, I just want to bake. I'm like, in my mind, I can even say, I don't need a cake, but I'm like, it's, she was passionate about it. I just, I was like, awesome. Go girl, do your thing. So I think we're just trying to love them where they are not where we want them to go. Because in the end, as parents, it's not our journey, it's theirs. And I think there's too many parents, I'm sure there's parents right now listening that you might be wrapped up in, uh, my daughter's not playing or my son's not doing this or why aren't they on this team? Why aren't they at the, in the end, it's not your goals, it's their goals. And I think we need to remember that. I'm coming from a college athlete who played sports. That's one thing my parents did really, really well. They didn't, they weren't like, you got to go out and, and do 7,800 pushups and throw 7,000 footballs. It was always my idea. I didn't get that fire until probably my late sophomore year when my high school football coach spoke truth to me and said, hey, you can be our starting quarterback, but here's what you got to do. And I was like, you sure you got the right Casey? Like me? And it was the best thing. And they never, they pushed a little bit, but nothing like I see what I see now in today's society. I mean, listen, you're speaking my language. And in some ways, I one, I think philosophically, we agree as fathers. But I also believe in that professionally. You know, I'm a big student of motivation. And one of the things about motivation that I think a lot of people don't really understand or think about is people get motivated, kids particularly, when they feel like it's they're in control. They perceive control in the situation, right? So if it's their idea or they have the ability to navigate it on their own and solve problems... Even if they fall on their face, they're okay with it because it's their experience. And I think what we've come into is, uh, as a society is, is we've all gotten busier. We've all become more scheduled. Technology has sort of taken over in a lot of ways. And I think there's just 
everybody wants to have a sense of control. And so we're constantly jockeying with our kids to, you know, schedule them to do things and push them to do more stuff. And part of that is, you know, we want them to succeed, but part of them is that's our guilt as parents because we're not spending as much time with them. And so we want to make sure everything's perfect. That's at least that's my take on it. We want to make sure everything's perfect for them because we're not capable of giving them the space to fall on their face. So I, I love that. And so can you talk about that maybe a little bit more in terms of athletically with your children and their experiences? You know, obviously you talked about kind of what goes on in the home and that's really important. And I think that translates to outside the home, but can you talk about their kind of athletic experiences, what they do and kind of how you manage that? Yeah, you bet. So my, my kids have been in sports ever since they're young. I, I coached a ton of their sports. You know, my son was, I say above average baseball player. And then he decides when he was 12 to go play golf. I'm like, okay, be sure. Like you're one of our better players. Like, no, I'm like, okay, sweet. I'm thinking jackpot. I mean, baseball, love it, but it's a little bit boring as a coach sometimes and players at times go Mariners. We still, yes, we got no hit this week, which is awesome. I'm super proud of that. <laughs> Heavy sarcasm. And then he went back to playing baseball and then he wasn't kind of sure what he wanted to do. And my daughter's just been like this. I always joke. She's the toughest one in her family, intense basketball player, point guard. There's never a shot inside half court. She's like fiery motor, never quits. I'm like, God, I get tired watching her. So I don't have to push her as much, but my, my son, what COVID did for us specifically with sports is it shut basketball down. So he couldn't do basketball. And he was like, well, I don't play golf. I'm like, all right. And so a lot of times when dad was building this business in the last year, he would go either play golf by himself. We were, we spent a lot of time in Eastern Washington. We Thankfully we have a, like a vacation home over there and he would go out by himself or go to the range or ask mom or dad to go drop him off. And he played 60 rounds of golf last year and played and his buddy did the same thing, his sport, he played hockey, his sport was shut down. So they, and then, so we got back to the West side of the state they'd play three, four days a week. And we weren't sure if golf was going to happen at the high school level. And then he ended up trying out. None of this was my idea. I mean, sure. I introduced him to him. Sure. I like, hey, let's go play golf. But sometimes he wouldn't do it. And, you know, I just kind of like just watched him do it. And all of a sudden it was became his idea, his idea. And he ended up making the varsity uh, golf team as a freshman. He ended up meddling as a freshman, which means for those who don't know, it means it means he, he shot the lowest round for both teams and a pretty funny story when, when it happened, I wasn't there. My wife would, took him and because we only could have one parent at the, at the event and the coach comes up to him and knocks on the window and says, Hey, are you writer's mom? She's like, yeah. He said, Hey man, he did a great job today. He's like, he meddled. And she's like, what does that mean? You know, I had no idea. Right. And so I love that. Like, she's got a little naivety to it. I've just taken a step back and, but I'm like, but now's the time. Now you've got a taste of success. And even like basketball team, he just made the high school basketball team. I, I talk about him now. I was like, great, you made the team. But now the work starts. Um, and I said, Ryder, this is what your know, dad teaches in the business world is this number called 1440, which is the number of minutes in a day. And you're only as good as that day. And also you're only as bad as that day. And so I try to teach them like those types of mindset things from a sports perspective. And because in the end, I'm not trying to produce college athletes. I'm trying to produce great human beings that are going to be great fathers, friends, husbands, employees, leaders of your community. And well, I would rather day in and day out, like say, man, your son, that's six iron and 14. That was nasty. Versus, man, Casey, your son had the best handshake and he had the best conversation and he handled himself with respect. Like that to me is more important. And it, I wasn't always like that. I probably, you know, early in my when kids were third, fourth grade, I probably fell in that trap, but quickly I realized I don't want to be one of those dads. I, I agree. I mean, my kids are, are just similar ages, put it that way. And it's the same thing, you know, 
their sport experience can't be mine. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, unfortunately, in that respect, we're in the minority. I think that there's an overemphasis on sport in terms of what it's what it means to the child, to the parent, and ultimately leads to a lot of pressure. And you talked about your parents a little bit when you were an athlete coming up through high school and how they weren't particularly hands-on. I think that, that's my interpretation. So can you talk about that as you were sort of learning from your coaches, like, hey, maybe there's a chance for you to be our starting quarterback in high school as a sophomore to the point where you started to get recruited and started to get interest from colleges. Like, what did that look like yeah. for you? Yeah, let me, let me raise it. I would not classify my parents as more like hands off. I'd more classify them as just not, they weren't like over the top, like, okay, hey, you got to go run 300s and do that. Like they, once it was my idea, then they kind of started applying some, hey, you, you built, Casey, you got a job and you put a tire swing in the backyard. Don't you think it'd be a good idea to go out and throw the football? Hey, you're right, dad. I'll go out there. Like little encouragements like that. I mean, they never missed an event. But yeah, so anyway, so sophomore year, I literally looked like a cross country runner, 6'1, 135. Like, like, you sure you want to play football, man? I look like Beetlejuice, like pumpkin on a toothpick head. And I got in the weight room, and obviously, getting in the weight room gets confidence up. All of a sudden, the bench increases, the squat increases. You start seeing changes in your body, like, God, oh, this is kind of fun. All of a sudden, you start feeling better about yourself. And, you know, I was on a sophomore football team. I saw that there was a ju- this kid, same age as me, and he was on JV. And so the writing was on the wall. Like, God, oh, this is going to happen. Way better athlete. He was a baseball player, ended up getting drafted by the Yankees, made it to AAA. And that sophomore team, we had about 16, 17 kids in the team. And yes, you guys heard that number, right? 16 or 17, 11 play on the side. So I was going offense, defense, special teams. I was kicking, I was punting. I was playing middle linebacker at 135. Not the uh, most intimidating guy over there. But it toughened me up and we had so many great memories and we got our asses kicked, sorry about the language. And, but it was so fun. And then one day I get pulled up to JV because we didn't have a sophomore game and they put me in. And I, all of a sudden I went in there, like had three or four great series and I got on the sidelines. And I remember this coach, Coach Charlie Canoon who's now the head coach of this high school called Mount Sia here in Seattle. And he said, Jacob, your stock's rising. And I was like, what does that mean? He was talking about stock market. I was like, well, I think, is that good or bad? I mean, it's so naive. And I, I, I'm still naive to this day. And my goal is to be the oldest naive person in the rest home when I get there. And at the end of the season, coach Marty Osborne says, hey, you got a chance. We're going to open up this job. And, but here's what you got to do. And we went through goals like bench, squat, clean, 40, body fat all these things. And he goes, and we had a goal sheet. So we had to write it down, which is what I always teach everybody. If you want to have a goal, write it down and then tell somebody about it. So there's accountability. And that sheet went right next to my bed. And every day I'd wake up and I'd see it. And it was a reminder that I had to go do it if that was still something I wanted to do. So it's that next Monday, six o'clock in the morning, I started lifting weights. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'd lift before school. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'd lift after school. So I was lifting twice a day. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'd throw the football to anybody. I don't care if you're a tuba player, violinist, English as second language teacher, Rotsi, I don't care who you are. You're running routes. Let's go. And went to a couple camps at junior year. And then finally we went to fall. We had to compete. And it, fast forward the story, there's both captains that year were seniors and they were both split. Two wanted me, two wanted the other guy. And we didn't know until the first game week. And I remember I was stretching and I get this tap on my shoulder and it's like Coach Osborne goes, Jay Cox, you ready to be our starter this week? And I was like, oh my God, I mean, I got goosebumps telling the story because it just takes me back to that moment. And I'm like, yes, coach. And he's like, and I could not wait to go tell my mom and dad because they know how hard I worked. 
Uh, anyway, fast forward the story, I had a decent junior year. We didn't have, I say, the most talent around me, no disrespect to the team, but like, I mean, I, for example, I got interviewed one day, I went three for 11 with eight drops. And the reporter at the end of the game was like, you know, how did it feel to have that many drops? Which I'm so glad, God, universe, whatever created me. I was like, hey, that, that wasn't on them. That was on me. I could have made those throws easier. And I was just innately already wired to take the heat which if there's quarterbacks listening out there, it's never your teammates' fault. Own it. Get in the line of fire for them. The story gets good though, Mike, when that summer, my junior year and my senior year, I'd go to the Central Washington camp just because my high school football coach, Marty Osborne, played there. And then I also went to the University of Washington camp where my other friend was going. He was getting recruited by him. And I was excited just to throw with like division one athletes and kind of see how I would do and not really having any expectations. Just thought that'd be fun. And I go and... I knew I was playing well, but I didn't really think anything of it. And uh, get the end of the camp last day, they're giving out awards. My friend, Kevin Childs, he got an award. My like, God, oh, damn, Kev, that's awesome. And the very last award, they're like, all right, now we're going to announce the most outstanding quarterback of the camp. And now I did not have, I was like, I wasn't even thinking about it. And a guy named Dick Baird, who was the recruiting coordinator for the University of Washington said, all right, the most outstanding quarterback of the camp is Casey Jaycox. And I was like, oh my God, what? And Kevin, my friend went bananas. I walked down. I mean, I'm at Husky Stadium now. One of the most beautiful stadiums. Very cool. In. Yeah, great stadium. I walked down the thing, get on the field. They give me all this gear. These I had a signed Don James poster, one of the famous coaches. And they talked to me afterwards. Like, listen, you're now on our radar. We, I got tickets to all the home games. I got part of the recruiting class. I'm going to be in the locker room before, after the game. He goes, I want you to send us your best game film. September, October, November. We're going to have someone at your game. You won't know it. I'm like, and now it's just like, I mean, I went from not being recruited to full-blown, like, oh my God, this is happening. So now I'm confidence is an all-time high. Keep working hard. We get to the fall and we have this thing called jamborees. I don't know if you have them out where you are, but for those that don't know, jamboree is like a mini practice game against other teams. And we would get situational stuff where be ball to 20, go, each team get a chance or something like that, or, you know, third down situations. And anyway, we crushed them, crushed everybody, played some strong teams and we were just like destroying. So the guy that I beat out our junior, he's now playing tight end. The position for him, he's athletic. We're, you know, it's just relationships tight. The last play of that jamboree, I get put back in for whatever reason. Coach calls a pass play. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. I'm with the JV line. I'm like, okay, Lee Wright, 90 read. Snaps, snaps a little slow. I get it. Nose guard dives in between the gap, between the A gap. His knee somehow gets on top of my right foot. And I couldn't move. I was like stuck like you're in quicksand. All of a sudden, a defensive end comes wheeling around and blasts me from the back. This guy goes low. This guy goes high. I felt like the tongue of my shoe exploded. Went into shock. I was like, uh-oh. Tried to get up, took one step, immediately collapsed. They kind of walked me off. I'm like, this does not feel good. Trainer's like, typical high school trainer, no disrespect. Yeah, we'll get some ice on. You'll be back Monday. It's starting to really, really hurt now. I'm almost feeling tears in my eyes. My mom and dad said, we better take you to the doctors to make sure nothing's wrong. Doc, we do uh, x-rays. He goes, Case, I got bad news. You broke four bones in your right foot. You're in surgery in two hours. Done for the year. Now, the guy that I beat out, the story from a junior, he now has to play quarterback. After the first three games, he's playing amazing. And I'm a captain and I'm not acting like it. I'm selfish. I'm thinking negative thoughts. I'm hoping he's going to play bad. I want him to fail. I want him to get hurt. I could not have been a worse teammate. I finally had the courage after the fourth game to go talk to my high school football coach. And I said, coach Osborne, I'm not, I'm embarrassed by my actions. I'm not being a captain. He's like, what do you mean? I said, I, this is my team. Everything I work for, Shane's achieving. 
and I'm a mess. I need to figure out something. I don't, I don't, I'm just, I'm struggling. And to his credit, he goes, Case, man, I'm so proud of you for you. You had the courage to come talk to me. I got an idea. I'm like, what? And I kind of was having a piss poor attitude. So he's like, you know, this offense almost better than I do. Why don't you go up in the booth and help me call plays? You'll be my office and coordinator for the rest of the year. And I was like, light shine. And I was like, what? And, I, and I'm like, I'm in. And I literally felt like I have goosebumps now. My, a vacuum sucked all that negative energy, gone. Like it happened like that. And I was like, let's freaking go. I could not wait to get to practice, tell my teammates. And Shane would go on. That was the guy that I beat out that had to play. Great year he had. He went on to break our single season passing yardage record. He went on to take us to the state playoffs first time in 20 years. And he was named second team all league. All things that I was supposed to achieve. So I have a dramatic story, right? But I'm 45. That happened almost 30 years ago-ish. I will honestly say the best thing that ever happened in my entire life. And my parents, I can't imagine how hard it was for them to watch me go through this. But that moment prepared me for so much that I went through. I ended up walking on at Central, preferred walk-on. I was 12th from the depth chart. Like, oh, this guy's got a pretty good arm. Chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Almost, almost didn't redshirt. Was fourth string my junior, true freshman year, I redshirt. Retro freshman year, I ended up beating my other freshman out. Now I'm the third string, which I got to travel, which was like a huge accomplishment. So now I'm with me, got him Ryan Fournier and John Kitna. You know, I was on the floor, they were in the beds and uh, <laughs> just, you know, and so many great memories. For anybody out there that said, ah, John Kitna, man, he wasn't that good or he has not that strong arm. I'm like, BS. People used to say that. I'm like, the dude could throw it 73, 74 yards. I could throw it 69, 70. He could throw an 18 yard out at a high velocity. I could throw it about one to two miles an hour slower, which is why he's in the league. And I'm talking to you right now. Right. And he is the most competitive guy I've ever met. And I just, yeah, so many amazing stories, but adversity, like this Tony Bennett, the coach at Virginia and former Washington state basketball coach, he says, paraphrasing adversity is life's golden ticket. And that moment of adversity back to how his conversation started impacted me as a dad, me telling my kids, we're not going to use COVID as an excuse. Absolutely. And there's a couple of things that, that I took out of there that I think are really important to, I'd like to highlight. One is your coach having the foresight, the understanding that it, giving you a purpose mm-hmm. and a role on that team was so critical. And for him to kind of support you through that and encourage you and say, Hey, I'm proud of you for stepping forward. And now I'm going to put you in a position and give you some control, give you some authority here to be a part of this team, I think is amazing. Right. And it sounds like you, you recall him very fondly. I don't know if he's still with us, but we're still close. I had him on my podcast, coach Marty Osborne. And it was the biggest honor because I could, I got a little about him as a dad, how I learned about him. And I, but it was a way to say, coach, I want to publicly thank you. I mean, I wrote him a letter in college after all my games where I was playing well, I would call him after, you know, Saturday, Sunday morning. Hey coach, I was 23 at 38, 340. I finally played, you know, tell him all like this. And he was like, got a boy. You know, he's so proud. And it was like calling second dad, but yeah. I mean, a guy like him, guy like coach uh, Dake. I had so many good coaches. So lucky. It's amazing. Yeah. And so the other thing I wanted to kind of point out or, or highlight there is, or even ask you probably better better way to, to kind of spin it. So tell me, can you tell me in a little bit more detail about how your parents 
got you through or helped you get through the injury and dealing with that or how they reacted to it? Because I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying at the outset, right? Which is, I think when, and I see this in my practice with, with athletes, when they get hurt or they go through an adversity, the first instinct of a parent is to jump in and try to save, Mm -hmm. right? And so as a parent, that's just the way we're wired. We want to help our kids and make sure they're safe and happy and all those things, right? But the adversity that they learn how to deal with on their own is usually, to your point, the greatest gift that we can have. And so how did your parents kind of address your injury at that point in time? Yeah, that's a great question. So my dad, unfortunately, is not in the best health. He's um, in an assisted living facility. And I would love to be able to go talk to him about this and ask him, because I don't know if I ever truly had a chance to have a deep conversation about that. And maybe action out of this, I'll call my mom and I'll ask her that because I, honestly, Mike, I don't remember. I don't remember any negativity. I don't remember them. I'm sure that they were sad, but I don't remember them. I, I remember just like being empathetic, a lot of love. Like, hey, be a good teammate, positivity. I don't remember neg- anything negative. I was still going to the games they just said, hey, this is going to be, this is just a short-term blip. And I don't truly remember any bad scenarios or situations. It was just a lot of support in the, in the, in the house. And I think there might've been shock for them too. Like, what are we dealing with? And maybe they didn't know how to respond. So they were just maybe quiet, but I'll call my mom today and ask her and then I'll follow up with you. That's great. I, no, I think it's great that you can have that conversation. And I think it's great that you could kind of look back in and say like, I'm not sure. Cause I, I think for some parents, especially parents, I don't know if your parents were athletes, but my parents weren't. So whenever I went through stuff athletically, there was really a lack of understanding, right? And it wasn't because they were bad parents, just because they had never been in my shoes before. And so sometimes parents just don't know how to react, right? Like I've never been there. I don't know what to say. So sometimes it's better to say nothing, you know, if anything, but it doesn't sound like you have bad memories of it, which I think, listen, sometimes less is more as a parent. And I think that that's hard sometimes as well. Real quick, I was going to say, you made me think of something. So have you heard of Bruce Brown, the car ride home? Yes. So if, if you could find that and link it in this episode, give him some love because that, that article is so good. And parents, if you're out there, what this article talks about is when you get in the car after a game, I don't care if your son or daughter had the game winning shot. I don't care if they had 74 air balls. All this talks about is to say, man, that was a blast watching you compete. I love watching you play. So much fun. That's all that matters. And if your kid is competitive, if it matters to them, if the individual accolades, if the winning, losing, if it matters to them, they will come talk to you about it. And I was like, I don't know. When my son was seven. I was like, I was a naysayer. I was like, I don't know about this stuff. And my son, I remember we were doing the ground balls or something. Maybe he, he, he bobbed on a shortstop. And, and then my mom like, bro, God, you could have made that play shut my mouth, told man, great. Hey, fun to watch you play, man. And we, and uh, we get home and this article says, if it matters to them, they'll come talk to you about it. And sure as you know what, two days later, he goes, dad, I'm frustrated. It's like, wow, what's going on, buddy? It's like, man, you and I have been spending so much time in the backyard and I, I made that mistake. And I'm like, it worked. I'm like, what do you mean? Tell me more. And he's like, well, you know, I had this play short, bobbled it, made an error. I'm like, well, that's all right. Guess what? The best part of making mistakes, you're going to learn. And that mistake, it's over. You can't change it. But I love that you want to get better. I love you want to compete. And so like that mindset of parents 
I think kind of is what my parents did too. They don't remember them doing anything negative, but like, I w- I'd love to give some shout out to Bruce Brown for the parents at home because that's a good, good action item we can get from this episode. I'm a huge believer in that when I get in the car after a game and I've read a lot, I don't know if I've ever read that article, but I, I've read a lot about that. And I am a firm believer in after a game, I usually don't say anything, right? And to your point, if they want to talk about it, they can talk about it. But I'm definitely not being critical. If anything, I'll ask them a question. Do you have a good time? Or how do you think it was? But I try to stay away from that. And you said, interestingly, we talked about this the other day when we spoke, something you said that I thought was really cool, like a tip you, you gave me, which is to ask Ted questions, right? And so tell me more, explain, describe. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I think that's really, really cool. And it's something that I've been thinking about when I'm around my kids the last couple of days. Yeah, I wish it was my idea. I got to give much love to my boy, John Kaplan, who I met at the end of my business career. John Kaplan is, I don't know where he learned it, but just like in, in anything, when you ask bad questions, you should expect bad results. So as parents, if you're out there, if you're saying, hey, bud, how was school? Good. What'd you do? Uh, not much. Did you have fun? Yeah. Why don't you open up and talk to me? What's wrong with you? Okay, stop. The problem is not your kids, it's you mom and dad, those are horrible questions, right? Look in the mirror, point the finger at yourself. Instead, let's try this. Ryder, tell me about the best part about recess. Describe what you love most about math and what you like most about science. And tell me one thing you'd like to change about those classes. Explain the funniest part that happened at basketball practice. Describe how you feel when your coach raises his voice. They have to answer the question, right? And then once they start talking, another Ted question. Tell me more about that, bud. Explain how you feel and watch your relationships change overnight when you do this. And so parents, I'd say, be accountable to yourself. Ted-based questions are gold. I wish I learned it when I was probably 41. I wish I learned it when I was 15. It is absolute gold. If, you've any, if you listen to any episodes of my podcast, I Ted the you-know-what at all my guests. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's a great strategy. It gets people talking and it lets them decide what they want to tell you versus asking them these closed questions where you're giving them an out or they're going to just shut down or feel like maybe they're being judged. I think that's a big thing that I see with the athletes that I work with and the ki- and my kids at home, my parent, you know, as a parent, like if they feel like something's conditional or they feel like they're being judged by you, a lot of times they're going to shut down. And the way you do that is by asking questions like why and using words like should and just and the language that is very, very confrontational and it's very judgmental. And I think that no young person wants to be judged. They no. want to kind of they want to feel like they're a whole person. And I think that's something I really, I really believe in myself. I wanted to ask you before we move on to sort of chronologically past college, I, I wanted to ask you, so you walked on it at Central Washington. What was the ultimately the deciding factor that led you to that decision to pick CWU? Yep. So like back then, Central was an NAIA school. And then once I became a starter, we were division two. And we had that transition. So my my cousin is a guy named James Compton. He played football at University of Washington. He was a starter, fullback, played with a guy named Greg Lewis, almost had a chance to go league, stud. He's out of Bandera, Texas, and he loved his time at UW. I mean, this guy was a beast in Texas high school football, but he, I remember when he was going through a lot of injuries, he said, Casey, if you have a chance to go small, go small, because it's not as big as a business. You'll have fun. And I always kind of remember that in the back of my head. I don't know why. 
And when I got hurt, I was, UW said, walk on, hey, preferred walk on. All these schools said, come on, walk on. But Central was like, even though I was, they couldn't give us money or, I mean, I ended up getting like an academic grant my, and then I got money my senior year to help pay for expenses. But they showed me love. And my high school football coach, Marty Osborne, was a quarterback there in 1981, 1982. And so he told his coaches like, listen, no one knows about this dude. He didn't play diamond in the rough. Give him a shot. And they made a flyer on me. And I'm so in debt to guys like Coach Bruce Walker, Coach Jeff Senesek, Coach Bill Baldwin, who's the head coach now at Cal Poly. They showed me that I, I was wanted. And I was like, and I was so, I had the biggest chip on my shoulder. And I still do to this day. It's like the life of a Division II athlete, always something to prove. Even as all the success I had in business, it's gone. It don't matter anymore. Because I got to go out and now prove it as a coach, leadership coach, author, podcaster. And I was like 12th in the depth chart when I got to Central. In my mind, I was like, it can't be anything worse than what I just went through, right? And what's kind of a funny story, or kind of funny now, a little not funny at the time. So I, I ended up starting, came in off the bench my sophomore year at Central, my sophomore year. And one of my great friends still to this day, Ryan Fournier, Ryan Fournier was a, waited his fifth year to play. He starts on the backup. He has a great first game. Second game plays okay, gets a little dinged up. Third game, gets a little dinged up. I come off the bench, my first collegiate throw, third and 16. I remember the play, doubles right, 71 H out, Z stop. Uh, shotgun, I throw an absolute laser, 18-yard comeback route, comeback route to Kenny Russo, first down. Uh, I take a massive hit, late uh, hit, I dirt stuck to my face mask. And I'm like, welcome to college football, bro. You just did that. And then Forney came back in. I jogged off the field. I'm like, holy, you know what? I just freaking did that. Like, it just is out of body. And I was filming conference rise. Anyway, went on. I ended up coming in into that game. And then the next game, Forney gets hurt halfway through the first quarter. We're down 27-6. And I end up throwing for coming off the bench and we get in the shootout. We lose 44 to 41. Through for like 340 and whatever. Next to now I'm named the starter for the next week. So now you remember that. So we got a fifth-year guy waiting in the wings. And so you could think our relationship was going to be horrible. He was the most supportive teammate on that field. And I always, when I speak to companies now, I'm always like, be the Ryan Fournier, not the 17-year-old Casey Jaycox. And he's still one of my best friends. He helped. He was one of the early supporters of my book. But anyway, long story short, great guy, great teammate, started my junior year, senior year. But before my senior year in winter conditioning, we're doing, we're doing like our exercise, like fall winter conditioning, you know, whatever, before spring ball. Typical clumsy 4'9 quarterback, 4'8", 40". I'm like leaning forward to try to get a faster time, lose my balance. Uh-oh, that wall's getting closer. I put my hands up to stop me in the wall. Boom, break my wrist. And I'm like, oh my God, it's going to happen again. And I couldn't do winter conditioning. I'm thinking this is the exact flashback of what happened in mm-hmm. high school. And I didn't realize I was put on, put on some weight during that injury, which is a pretty funny story here. I'll share in a second. Went out to spring ball with a cast on. With my left hand, I could still, at least I could throw, which is nice. But we used to wear these things called shimmel shirts, which is like a half half shirt underneath the shoulder pads. And my jersey was kind of like, I didn't realize it was like part of the belly was showing. And so we get all the quarterbacks. We used to give each other a hard time. They're like, dude, what is that? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? And for the audience at home, you can't see us. They're pointing at my belly. And I'm like, you are fat as F. And I was like, oh my God, what? I didn't even realize it. I was, so I played at like 6'2", 6'1", 208. I was 6'2", 227. And straight Roethlisberger. 
I just went, <laughs> I had chubby tubby and I'm like, so I was like, perfect. You guys are going to pop off. I'm a senior tomorrow morning. We're running as a team. So I made him get up. We ran a mile in the morning as a team, as a quarterback fraternity. And so anyway, I just tell those two stories because it brought my memory lane. Yeah. It sounds like you have a lot of, a lot of great memories. What was the hardest thing about the transition to college or college just in general, the four years you were there? Like what, what were some, what was the biggest challenge you faced? I'd say the biggest challenge was biggest challenge, which probably the it ending uh, when okay. I knew it was done. But let me, I want to tell one more quick story you just made me think of when you asked that question. So in the spirit of what I went through at a high school to college, what I went through the ups and downs of in college, another injury, but my junior year after I had played, no, my senior year, I think it was my, yeah, my, no, my junior year, sorry. My junior year, I'm leading the league in passing. We're blown. We're, I mean, it's like, okay, this is my job. And no, sorry, my senior year it is my senior year. I'm leading the league in passing and first play of the game. I throw a 60 yard bomb in stride touchdown. And I'm like, we're going bananas. Like, here we go again. The next two to four series, I look like a ninth grade kicker. Like I could not hit water if I fell out of a boat. It was, it was like a hundred degrees. We're playing this cool school called Azusa Pacific. Krishna Koye is all mater. Yep. And I'm like, what is wrong? And coach Bo Baldwin says, take a seat. You're hurting the team. Take a seat. And I was like, what do you mean? Take a seat. In my mind, my first ego got in the way. I'm the number one quarterback in this league. I'm starter. What are you talking about? And I'm like, Hey, no coach, I'm good. He's like, no, you're not good. Sit down. And now the shock of getting benched. I'm like, Oh, and I went up to him at halftime. I said, listen, I know I'm not right. I'll get it right. I need to go back in. This is my team coach. My senior, I got, he goes, you got one, you got one chance get together. But that moment of getting benched taught me about you're only as good as today. And so if there's dads out there listening, if there's kids out there listening to moms, complacency is a silent killer. It's a silent killer, right? And so teach our kids that compete as hard as you can today. If you're in sales, don't let one bad phone call lead to one bad week, to lead bad one bad month, to one bad quarter, one bad year. Next, thing you know, you're looking for a job. Right. And so like that, I, again, these sports analogies, I just, I apply them in my life every day because it's, it's, it works. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot in what you just said, which was pretty brief, but these are the things that come out all the time when I'm working with, with athletes is, you know, sort of that element of focusing on process over the result. Mm-hmm. Right. And taking it day by day, right? Like being able to kind of chip away at a goal, not expecting that you're going to get the result that you want right away. And being able to deal with the emotional challenges that come with not getting the feedback that you want, right? Because sometimes, whether it's sport or sales, which you and I share that bond as well, listen, there's plenty of days where I send 50 emails and I don't get one response, where I make a phone call and I don't get a call back. And it's like, well, what am I doing this for? But if you do that every single day and you focus on what you can control, ultimately, you'll start to see the results maybe not at the pace that you want, but you're investing in the future. And I think that that's something that's really hard to teach for young people for whatever reason, whether it's biological, which I think it's part of it, right? Socio-emotional. But I think it's also the way that they're taught. And so I think that's a message worth sharing all the time. Break it down to small pieces, right? Take it day by day, do what you can and come back the next day and do what you can again and Mm -hmm. try to focus on what you can control. Well, there's two things we can control. Our attitude and our effort. That's all we yep. got. Uh, that's all we got. And I always tell my kids, you know, they're both basketball players. I say, 
only one person scores in each possession, but there's so many other ways you can impact the team. Your talk on defense, your talk on offense, how you set screens, mm-hmm. how you hustle for it. If there's a loose ball, you better die for it. Like if you play hard, like nonstop, a coach is going to find you a spot in the court. Every coach will find you. They, every basketball team needs that guy or girl. So I don't care if you if you shoot 10% all season, well, don't shoot then. Just go make a land when you can. But if you got great vision, you can make great passes. They're always going to need someone like that. Yeah. So I think that that mindset's definitely challenged in today's day and age. And, you know, I don't want to go down this road too much, but I think one of the things that I, that I see particularly as being an influence on that is social media, right? Like everybody wants to be the star. Everybody wants to get noticed. And I can tell you when I was playing sports and I didn't play at the level you played, but I was that guy. I was a center. I was a nose tackle. I played basketball as the 12th guy on the bench. When I went in the game, it was to set a pick or get a rebound or to mop up. But we all have our roles and there should be pride in playing a role and being the hard worker and being a good teammate. And I think that that is in some respects kind of taking a hit today. And I think it's, it's a really a challenge as adults to try to coach kids through that because there is so much that we can't control that's around them socially. And the influences that are brought on them, whether it's by friends, social media, media, TV, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like we have to combat that. And that can be really hard and really frustrating as a parent. Like, hey, like there's only so much I can do. Yeah. And I struggle with that, frankly. Yeah, I, it's funny. There's a, there's a girl in our community that's one of the top ranked basketball players in the state. And she never promotes anything on social media. I love it. Absolutely love it. And I just tell my, my kids, like, be that person. Almost, I don't want to say her name, but it's like, be that yeah, person. Definitely. And um, if we're in seventh grade promoting ourselves already, that's a head scratcher. <laughs> you know? so, so tell me about your transition, right? Out of college, right? You said that that was really difficult, right? Obviously, yeah. you're leaving football behind. You're leaving your friends behind. You're moving into a professional capacity. Like, what was your first job out of college? What did that transition look like for you? Yeah, well, I got teased in the Arena League. I almost played for Portland. Uh, and then I got a job through my one of my old high school football coaches, Matt Sarotsky, still friends with him today. And he got me a job at this company called Barcodes West. We were a label manufacturer for like warehouse management solutions. I called them stickers because that's what I thought they were. It showed my naivety. And national sales guy just didn't travel. It was all inside sales, hundreds of phone calls a day. I was selling stuff, but I wasn't making commission. And then about eight months in, I got a call to go play for San Jose. And I was like, oh, shoot. And I would have been like, I would have had a roster spot, but then I would have been, I would have had to quit this job. I would probably would have made 40 grand a year. And then I would be like working six months in a warehouse. I'm like, is that really what I want to do? And so then I just said, I'm done. And once I said I was done, it was like a big rock off my chest that, hey, that chapter's over. And mm-hmm. All the things I've told you today that were that people taught me, my experiences, my coaches, the adversity, I applied that to business immediately. And I just started pounding the phone. And I remember at my one-year review after my job, after in that first year, I went to my boss and I said, Hey, he goes, What are your goals, Casey? He said, I wanna, I wanna be in front of the customer face to face, and I wanna double my salary. He goes, Casey, those are way too aggressive goals for someone your age. I want us to rethink these things and come back and, and, and tell me something different. I was like, perfect. That's the answer I needed, not the place for me. And my buddy at the time, Kelly Hansen, was trying to get me to leave to go to this company called Hall Kenyon, staffing, IT staffing firm. And 
didn't really know what the heck I was doing there. I interviewed nine times because they didn't think I could do it. And I was, you know, division two mindset. I'm getting more pissed. Screw you guys. I can too. They hired me as a $16 an hour sales contractor. Right. And so as dumb as that was, I was like, let's go. That's a raise for my other job. No benefits. I took it. And so if I think back, I'm like, God, that was risky. And they said, you got to prove yourself for six months. After that six months, we'll see about bringing you full-time. Well, they end up hiring me full-time after three months. Fast forward story, ended up becoming number one sales rep. Three years later, got bought by a company called K-Force in June of 2004. And then was the number one rep there for 10 straight years nationally. Left as that company's all-time leading salesperson. And then that led me into writing a book and now being sales. Fast forward the story, because I know we're probably short in time. And then, but all those things... All those lessons I'm still applying today. And even like this week, I had a very big week. I was, I partnered, do partnering work with a company called Limitless Minds, which is Russell Wilson, Trevor Moad, those guys. And I'm a speaker and coach for them. And I'm speaking with one of their clients. The night before I was presenting in, my, in this office with the door closed, that presentation, doing reps. And I told my kids, hey, dad's going to go practice. Just like when you guys go shoot free throws or go make putts or go hit dream, this is what I'll be right back. It was such a cool moment to be able to walk the walk because then I practice. And so far, I have two more presentations tomorrow on Friday, but the four have gone great. Mondays went good. Wednesdays went great. And Fridays is going to be elite. I told my kids, I said, if I don't practice, I'm not even going to be good. And I asked for coaching after both calls from the people who behind the scenes, like, tell me how I can be better for Wednesday. So anyway, all those mindset. We taught it just it's just fun to be able to kind of like it keeps me grounded, keeps me humble, knowing that we all we have 1440 to get better. I love that. And I too try to lead by example in my household, right? My kids see the work that I put in at what I'm doing and working the hour, the late hours, the weekends, trying to get better at what it is that I do and not tell them, but show them because I think that that gets internalized. And, you know, I want to sort of give a plug for the sales profession and I'm going to tie it back to what this podcast is all about, right? So I've been in sales too, most notably the last four or five years as a way to just sort of pay my bills. And what I've learned about sales is, is that teaches us a lot about life, right? The persistence, focusing on a process, the follow-up. I talk to my kids that I work with all the time about this. It's following up and staying on top of the pile with a coach. If you want to go to a school and you love that school and you want to be there, like you can't just send one email. You've got to follow up. You've got to build, to use a segue, you've got to build a relationship with that coach to let them know what kind of person you are, right? Because it's not just about your ability on the field, your stats, your highlight reel. It is, hey, are you committed to this process of, I really want to be at your school, right? I'm going to show you that this is something I really want by being persistent and in a professional way. And I think that that's something that's often lost on kids. I mean, and rightly so. I didn't have that mindset when I was 16, 17, 18. But I think our parents are much more, they're much smarter, much more business savvy themselves. And so we should be teaching kids, hey, not only this is how you write the email, but you need to be the one that owns the process. Every coach I talk to tells me that. The kid needs to write the email. The kid needs to follow up. The kid needs to look me in the eye and shake my hand. And I think these are things that we're not teaching kids. What they're doing is they're focusing on the highlight reels and they're focusing on 
social media. And those are not the things that build relationships. What builds relationships is the effort into getting to know somebody and expressing a desire to, to help them, right? And that's, that's what you're talking about, right? In your book? Ch- chapter four, I wrote an entire chapter about documenting what you hear from people and then following up. Chapter two is all about setting expectations, getting ahead of it. Like one of the biggest reasons I wrote this book was because of what you just talked about. Too many kids are taught to build relationships. They don't know how to do it because no one's teaching them. So there's six common sense pillars of the starting with positive, treat people with respect, treat people the way you want to be treated, set expectations always, not sometimes always. If you're going to be late, let them know. If you tell someone you're going to be there at nine, show up at 850. A whole chapter is dedicated to the, the difference between what listening is and what hearing is. Chapter four, like I talked about documentation, follow-up. Chapter five is all about checking your ego. Be coachable. We all got gaps. Don't pretend you're perfect because it doesn't exist. Don't be the dude that's it's always someone else's fault, right? I played center. If, if, I'm, if I was a quarterback blaming you, come on, Mike, you suck. Block from me. You're not going to block, right? But if I'm saying, hey, I wouldn't have been able to throw a touchdown if Mike didn't pick up that block. Heck of a, get my lineman's name in the paper was always my goal. And then six is always about just patience. Relationships take time, but- if you follow up and you're persistent and you're doing the right things along the way, it will happen. And I always talk about life as a sales metaphor. It's about be a boomerang. If you're serving people, if you're throwing out goodwill, like in a boomerang, what does a boomerang do? Comes back to you, right? Always. Now, sometimes that boomerang might take a little longer out. That's okay. But if you keep throwing enough boomerangs, watch what happens. Watch what happens. One day it's going to be like dodging them left and right. So I love that. I love that. So when did you write the book? I wrote the book. It came out January of 2020. Okay. I wrote it in about four and a half months from April, 2019 through August of 2019. I wrote every day from nine to 1130. Some days I thought I was Hemingway. Some days I thought I was in a dude living in a van down by the river. Some days it sucked. There you go. Farley had a boy. Uh, I, uh, but it was amazing. I I hired an editor, but the best editor, I did not have to pay. Want to take a guess who that was? Your wife. Bingo. Best editor ever. She knows my voice. She's like, eh, I don't like how that sounds. And I'm like, and she's right. And so, but it was, I didn't write the book to make money because you don't as an author, we don't make money on books. I think I make $3 a book. I'm giving away my secrets, but yeah, I wrote a book because I was so passionate about that message. I wanted to get the mindset out about it's about winning people and anything you do. And so like now it's funny, I, I'm doing consulting work for real estate, wealth management, insurance, staffing, consulting. Did I'm like, uh, what? I mean, I don't know anything about wealth management, but I know a lot about relationship building and sales process and sales mindset and the power of asking great questions and being prepared. All things that people don't want to talk about and do, they just want to show up and happen. So I have another book in in my mind. It's going to be about listening, which is, I think, a a topic and a gift that we don't focus on enough. 100%. I totally agree. And okay, so I'll I'll segue to your podcast, your quarterback dad cast, which I was a guest on. Phenomenal concept. I love their conversation. I think it's self-serving, but I do think objectively that fathers are a group in our society that I think are sometimes underappreciated and overlooked. And the challenges that we face as fathers are 
maybe not as obvious to others, but like, can you just talk about how that came to be and how you came up with the idea for the podcast and who should be listening to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did a podcast at K-Force at the end of my journey. And then I had this idea. I always want to start a podcast. I like asking questions. I'm curious. I, I, all those things. And, and then my great college teammate, Ty Nunes, old 86 out of Yakima, Washington. He's a, he's now a football coach at East Valley high school. Still a great friend today. One day, probably in the summer of 2019, he's like, dude, stop talking about this podcast. I'm coming to your house right now. We're going to freaking do it. I'm like, let's go. We got equipment, we set it up and he was going to do it with me. And then we decided, I'm like, he was kind of switching jobs. And I said, I think it's better if I just do it by myself. And he's like, no, I think you're right. And so, but he did such a good job of getting me off my ass and getting this thing going. I knew there was not a lot of dad stuff out there. I always joke, there's a lot of me too. There wasn't a lot of he too. And I'm, I'm always massively supportive of, of women. I'm you know, obviously a father of a daughter. I um, always want to be sensitive and get and promote women's athletics because I don't think they still get enough credit and enough notoriety for their, what they do. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to find something that helps dads because most guys don't want to talk about their feelings. Most dads don't want to cry in a, in a good episode of Punky Brewster. I do. Uh, <laughs> or Family Ties. And like the gift of saying, I love you, or the gift of saying, Hey, I don't know, or the gift, I'm sorry, or the gift of asking for help. Like that is a massive gift we can give our kids and your wife and you. And so put down the armor. You're not perfect. Right. And so leadership to me, just like Brene Brown talks about is vulnerability. And so like my definition for leadership is humility plus vulnerability equals leadership. And so that's really kind of the, the, the goal is I want to interview dads. I do interview dads to understand their story, where they came from, what they're grateful for, what uh, adversities have they been through in life, what challenges are they going to, what are their own gaps as a dad? Like, what are they thinking about to become better? And then lastly, you know, based on our conversation we have with each dad, like what, what can dads take from the conversation to be the ultimate quarterback of their household? Now, for all the moms out there, I'm not saying that you can't be a leader too. Trust me, my wife is a way better quarterback a day than I am, but I just, it was more of a metaphor and... That's I made the joke earlier. My wife's a general manager and she hired me to become quarterback for her team, jokingly aside. But um, yeah, it's fun. I've done close to 100 episodes. We've produced 88 and it's uh, it's amazing, amazing journey. Yeah. I know we're running out of time. I appreciate you sharing all that. And yeah. frankly, I think there's a lot more meat on the bone for us to talk about. So maybe we get to do this again one Let's day on, on air or not. But before we let you go, let everybody know where, you know, where they can find you and where they can find the book, whatever you want to kind of plug here. No, I appreciate you asking. Yeah. So people can, if you want to learn more about me, you can go to my website, which is just kcjcox.com. So C-A-S-E-Y-J-A-C-O-X. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. My book is on Amazon. So uh, you can get it there. It's in Kindle. It's in paperback. I'm currently recording the Audible version right now. That should be out within a couple months. It will be my voice. I'm reading it, which is so fun. And embarrassing to say, but in spirit of vulnerability, I'm the author of the book. I've read it four or five times. I'm on chapter two right now. I'm still learning from myself. As weird as that sounds, which says that even the author, I got gaps. I still have gaps. So keep learning, keep growing everybody. And please, if you want to learn more about me, you can connect with me there. That's awesome. Well, thanks again, Casey. I loved our conversation and I'm really excited about putting it out there for everybody. And uh, like I said, hopefully we could do this again soon. Let's do it, Mike. Thanks, buddy. Thank you to everyone for joining the Freshman Foundation podcast. We hope you gained new insights and feel more positive, mindful, and committed to the journey from high school to college athletics. 
Michael is here to support you along the way. And if you want to know more about how the Freshman Foundation can help, go to freshmanfoundation.com and connect with Michael. Remember to subscribe to the Freshman Foundation podcast so you can be part of the journey into college athletics. 